0: You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. All right. Well, a lot of good stuff coming up as we wind up summer. and It's going to be a little hot the next couple of days. I understand all this smoke is going to kind of settle in, but we'll make it through this. And fall is around the corner if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude this morning, and uh, probably wonder which chapter we'll be in, so we'll start with chapter one, book of Jude. We're going to cover the entire book today. I want to just uh, thank Pastor Dwayne for the opportunity to share, be a part of this summer series. Have you enjoyed this summer series as we've gone through and, and just uh, dug into some great sections of scripture? I believe we're going to. Find that again today. And I'm going to start in verse 3. And I, I see right here kind of the whole uh, key to this, this whole letter written by Jude. Let's we'll start out in verse 3. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. So circle that where it says, Contend for for the faith, Because that is, I think that's the key to this entire book. Urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and, and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So just a little background on this on this uh, passage, about 25 verses, and it's uh, short, and it's perhaps probably one of the least taught, the, the least preached uh, portions of Scripture in the entire New Testament. Uh, I have a little process that I go through when I begin to prepare for a message, and so Pastor Duane asked a few weeks ago if I would, would take this uh, portion of Scripture I said sure so i i go back through and i try to find some of my old notes and look through and see what scriptures i used and cross references and and uh just some of the the grunt work that you dig up and and look at the greek words and all that and uh and i always do that and sometimes i think wow i i think i owe some churches some money because sometimes the content it seems a little thin and uh and sometimes the application, of course, changes big time. You know, some of my older sermons written on papyrus. Uh, you know, those those need to change a little bit. And so I, I looked, and I had actually nothing on Jude, nothing. I have never taught on Jude, which kind of surprised me. I mean, it's right there in the New Testament. I'm sure I've brushed through. I'm sure I've cherry-picked some of the good scriptures out. And, and so I've never had to go through in an expository fashion and, and teach on that. And so that kind of uh, reinforces that thought that it's not taught very often. How many have heard a book, uh, uh, heard of a sermon on the book of Jude before? Okay, <laughs> two people. So, so perhaps you'll wish you'd never heard, heard one after this gathering today. But, but yeah, it's, it's really a good book. I believe it's very relevant for today. I I believe it's very fitting. And we're going to see why in a few moments. But the gospel was under attack. And and I can certainly uh, show you how that's the case today from higher critics saying that, you know, there really isn't truth in God's word and questioning uh, the gospel, questioning whether Christ is the only way and so I think there's some very fitting verses for us to look at here this morning. So we're going to take it apart. I see, uh, really, I see three main pieces to the book of Jude. And the first one is a very urgent directive. You see that in the verses I just read, to contend for the faith, to, uh, to not compromise on this area that is so important and so there's a couple things I want to point out when we talk about contending for the faith because sometimes there's people that oh good you know now you're now you're talking my kind of sermon you know let's let's go after it and let those people that don't believe in truth let's let them have it but I want to point out that first of all we need to contend for the faith without being contentious and there's a difference you know some people are just ready for a fight and they're kind of brassy And particularly in the area of saying this is a conservative view and we stand on this. And sometimes we like to preach the truth, but the scriptures talk about preach the truth in love. And so I just want to back up for a moment and just point out a few things that I think we see even in the the very beginning. You know, I think we see Jude's tone. And as you read through this whole book, you'll see he starts out with such a sweet tone. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, if you don't know, this is Jesus' half-brother. James was the other half-brother. And so that was kind of a big deal. And so notice how he he mentions that. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I think, you know, you see humility in that because I think I would have made a big deal about here I am, Jesus' favorite brother. And, and uh, he kind of put that on my business card, you know, make sure people know that. But, but we see where Jude is just kind of sweeping past that uh, very humbly. And then he goes on, he says, To those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Do you see that? That warm tone, he's he's just laying out some wonderful things and his affection for the believers. Dear friends, he says, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. And so he intended to just talk about, you know, our great salvation. And and I think I I would love to sit down with you someday in heaven and just talk about our great salvation. But he says, "I felt compelled. I, I felt like this was necessary. I felt urgent that we had to deal with these issues that are so important." And so, uh, you see his heart, and it's and it's very broken as you follow through and you look at the words where he's describing the warning. He's saying. Let's be reminded of what happened to those who taught false doctrine and those who were rebellious toward God. And and so the tone, I think that is so important. When we get up and we, we say that people without Christ will perish, That those words should break us. There should never be a, a sense of gloating in that or a sense of condemnation. There should always be that sense of of urgency and brokenness for those who don't uh, obey Christ. And so, so we see that throughout this, and I think that's really important to point out. I think it's also too important to, to take Scripture and cross-reference and match what is being said. So, so here we see in Jude kind of this strong word, but if you match that with passages like 1 Peter three fifteen it says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason of the hope that you have. But do this, notice this, with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. So, so we see where we need to be contenders of the faith without being contentious and then another thing I thought it would be good to point out is that I, I get this sense of constant diligence we must contend for the faith with that constant diligence we see that in verse 4 for certain men who condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in they're godless men who changed the grace of our Lord into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our Lord, and so we're going to see three reasons why I think we need to be constant in that diligence of contending for the faith and being aware. And first of all, falsehood is sneaky. It is falsehood slips in. Oftentimes, it's kind of um, encapsulated, you know, with enough truth and enough uh goodness say these you know these are good truths these are good things and and so oftentimes it's very sneaky i was thinking about being sneaky a couple weeks ago I, uh, I had made a trip over to my dad's birthday uh he turned 89 a couple weeks ago and uh so i just i I just completely surprised him, didn't tell him I was coming, drove over to Boise, and about a nine-hour drive, and my plan was to just walk into the house, because, you know, the house is always unlocked, walk in, and just say, hey, I'm home, you know, how you doing, and surprise him, and and the door was locked, (laughs) the door's never locked at my parents' house, and... So I had to ring the bell, and my dad came to the door, and so I thought, well, I'll just be really nonchalant. It's like, hey, how you doing? And he answered me back really nonchalant, like, yeah, pretty good, you know. <laughs> and, then it's, and it's like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? So, so my sneakiness was ruined. It was just destroyed, and my whole plans were destroyed. Well, that's kind of how falsehood, you know, kind of creeps in is the word that's used in the English version here, it creeps in, it's creepy, it's kind of unnoticed, and that happens today. When we are blasted with compromise, many times it does creep in, or those that are supposedly uh, higher educated will kind of use their clout to say, you know, these things should be questioned, And, you know, it's interesting, the church really has done marvelously well when there's been opposition from the outside. You can see that throughout church history. The problem has come when there's opposition from the inside, like the sheep in wolf's clothing that can sneak in and and just happen unaware sometimes. I was reading about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, And uh, about uh, about 100 and so years ago, the turn of the 19th century, he was facing a lot of higher critics that were saying that God's word wasn't true and and similar to what Jude is talking about here. And so he kind of drew a line. This is how he contended for the faith. This is his words. These are strong. He says, these destroyers of our churches appear to be as content with their work as monkeys with their mischief. That which their fathers would have lamented, they rejoice in. Devout atheists are not a, a tenth as dangerous as those preachers who scatter doubt and stab at faith. Now, those are strong words, but I think there's, uh, there's a reason why. And we see that the next reason why we have to have that constant diligence is because that the gospel is essential to our salvation. Notice Jude didn't say... Uh, contend for faith he said contend for the faith that word is there the in the greek uh, indicating the faith the gospel the way of salvation the way of hope that is laid out for us and so anytime you begin to compromise the deity of christ or compromise our lostness and the grace of god you begin to undermine the things that are essential to our salvation These things are are urgently important. We need to understand that. We need to fight the good fight, as Paul said to Timothy. And this is certainly a part of the good fight that we need to fight. Then third, so we see where it's sneaky that this is essential for our salvation And the third reason we need to have this constant diligence is to surrender to Christ as our Master and Lord. It's a lifetime process. We don't arrive in this journey of being discipled. And and even those who have served the Lord so faithfully for many, many years, there's still that challenge of constant surrender. I used to think I will get to the place where I, I have surrendered so much to Christ there's nothing left to surrender any longer and i discovered at least i haven't arrived there maybe some of you have but but there's this constant pushing through you can't let your guard up you can't say well you know i've walked with Christ all these years now i can coast you have to keep pressing and so that constant diligence is so important in understanding this and 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 that's brought out by jude saying they didn't live what they are saying with their lives, it says they deny with their mouths, and their hearts are are far from Him, and they were denying the Lord by their actions and their lifestyles. And so that is those are sobering words for us today. These are things we need to take stock of and ask ourselves right now: Is Jesus? the sovereign or the master and the Lord of my life. And you see that in this passage. They deny the sovereignty and the lordship of Christ when our lives don't match what we say. Let's kind of ask ourselves that question. Is my life matching Is I profess my faith in Christ and the gospel and the faith, am I contending for it in the sense of am I living it? That's how we contend for this. We have to live it out. We're going to see some more of that later in in this book. I heard a great quote from Alistair Begg. He said, either we'll bring our morality into line with God's law or will subvert God's law to bring it into conformity with our morality. That's a pretty powerful statement. We need to conform our morality to God's law. And so there's some powerful words in that. Now, once again, we're not going to be contentious about this, but for us, we need to take stock and ask are we living this out? Then we see in this passage, we're going to go into the middle section. I'm not going to stop and embellish on this section, but um, if you have your Bibles or your phones, let's read. I'm going to read this passage starting in verse 5 down to verse 17. This is where you get the sense of Jude's brokenness. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these, as he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that gray day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment Of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the angel, the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but he said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against. Whatever they do not understand, and what things they do not understand by instinct, like unreasoning unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit from Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blasphemers at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. There are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead, and they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wondering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Verse 17, but dear friends, remember... What the apostle, our, apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own un- ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow the mere natural instincts, and do not have the spirit. Wow. So how do you really feel about a Jude <laughs> man? He, you know, he does not beat around the the bush here, does he? He doesn't dance around the issue. And I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a sense of, of soberness and brokenness in Jude's word, knowing how destructive false teachers are. In Jude's time, it was the Gnostics. A few weeks ago, Melora and I were watching one of the um, the Dateline shows, and they were going back and talking about a period of time in our in our history of our country that was very painful. It was known as uh, Jim Jones and the Jamestown uh, False Prophet and just the sadness. And nine hundred and nine hundred and nine people committed suicide or were were murdered in that jungle. 304 were children. And they, they showed some of the images and um, you know, that, that was a long time ago. And it was just kind of still raw to see that and to think about that, you know, and that's an extreme example, but That kind of shows how somebody can come along and tickle ears and draw people along and head in the wrong direction to their own destruction. Paul warned Timothy in the last days, he said, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. see that, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. And so there is that soberness in in this letter from Jude just saying, let's realize how serious this is and how much we should take stock, why we should be diligent and attentive and, and being aware of what, God's word says to us. You know, years ago I heard that one of the ways they train people that specialize in detecting counterfeit money is they encourage them, they, they just go handle real money. They go where it's printed, they smell it, they see it, they get a feel for it. They just live in that environment of seeing real money for, for several days in this training. And they don't really show them a whole lot of the counterfeit in this early training. They just, the idea is you get used to understanding what the real is and you will detect the counterfeit. And it's the same for God's word. Get into God's word. Get to know what is truth. Live in that. And I'm afraid for uh, Christians throughout perhaps America, I don't know if it's the same everywhere you go, but... Uh, sometimes there seems to be a shallowness and, and uh, a kind of a, a lack of zeal and a lack of urgency in this. And, and Jude is saying, let's be urgent and contending for the faith, standing up for the things that are true. And so that there's that importance of getting to know the truth, getting to know God's word. And then we see all these warnings laid out for us. Now, here's the good part. Here's here's the part I I really enjoy in this study from verse 18 to 25. He gives us a direction. He says, now live your faith. So not only contend for your faith, but now live your faith. Because uh, how tragic is it when we get up and we have all the right words, but we don't live it. And that is such a black eye for the church. And unfortunately, we're reminded of that uh, just even fresh, you know, in some church settings where there's been some failures and and we grieve for that but he says in verse 20 he says but you dear friends build yourself up in the most holy faith and pray in the holy spirit keep yourselves in god's love as you wait for the mercy of our lord jesus christ to bring you to eternal life so he's saying guys we are different we are called out we should be much different from the examples he just gave of those who are empty tombs with nothing to offer. Our words should have power. They should have meaning. And so we asked the question, what does that mean? Build yourself up. Let's take this apart for a minute. Let me show you a picture. Build yourself up. There you go. <laughs> that's a picture that's been circulating around the office for a while. It's amazing what you can do with the right camera angle, Right? so okay enough of that that's actually not it so that's you know but it really is a lot of the same principles of whoever's body that was that my head was glued onto that they you know it's just simple things just you have to work at this you have to take in the word you have to pray you have to be in church way to go give yourselves you know a pat on the back you're here today and, and But we need to be regular in fellowship and growth and get in groups and grow and, and, and go and go do ministry like we did yesterday throughout our city. And those are opportunities where you're going to be stretched and you have a chance to, to share your faith. And we need to be exercising that. And so build yourselves up and, and getting to know, like I said, getting to know the truth so you can detect the counterfeit. The second thing he says here, B, is pray in the Holy Spirit. There's a little bit of debate depending on whether you're Pentecostal or or not, you know, whether that means praying in tongues and, um, you know, there's not a lot to to prove either way, either direction, but there are some passages that would seem to Connect with this. One is found in Romans 8, 26, 27, talking about how the Holy Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know how we should pray. And then another passage in 1 Corinthians 14 that is definitely talking about praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, because Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians, this is how you don't do it. But he does say, this is how you do it. This is, he says, I'm glad I pray in tongues more than, than all of you. And so he's he's saying, no, pray in your language, in your English or whatever language you know. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in your mind. Uh, build yourself up in that. And, and that's what that passage is talking about, how when we use the gifts, we do edify ourselves in the sense of Christ is built up in us. And so it fits very much with what we see there, the flow of thought. Build yourselves up spiritually pray in the Spirit, that seems to cross-connect with First Corinthians 14. And when we walk in the Spirit, that's the key, isn't it? You, we're, we're told when you walk in the Spirit, you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you walk in the Spirit, you hear from Him, you surrender to Him, you are on a, a mission for God, you, you're on an adventure, and he's directing us at all times, and that's so important. If we're kind of flat-footed, not being led of the Spirit, we're missing out, I think, on the best part of serving Christ. It should be exciting. This walk with Christ should be exciting. It's not easy. It's a challenge, but it shouldn't be dull. It shouldn't be boring. And there's times I know that I've allowed it. I've allowed my walk with Christ to become a little flat, a little dull, a little boring. And that's always a little warning light on your Christian dashboard saying, wake up. Come on, let's get going because we should be pushed into this adventure with Christ, walking in the spirit. See, keep yourself in love, in the love of God. Now, we We can't make God love us any more than he already does. He loves us with the perfect love. But it's talking about building relationship, about spending time with him, about avoiding those things that corrode my relationship with him. There's a warning in Matthew 24. It says, in the last days, the love of many uh, will wax cold because of the abounding of iniquity because iniquity will shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And that is such a warning to us. Our love should be fresh and alive and passionate. Keep yourself in fellowship with him. Spend time with him and just submit yourself to him on on that daily basis. Number four, or D, share your faith. He says, be merciful to those Who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. Do others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh? So, this idea of contending for the faith, living out our faith, it's proactive. I love that passage where Jesus says, The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's the idea of of the enemy is the one who's sitting there trying to hold the gates, and the church is the one that's kind of pushing forward. The church is the one that's moving ahead and saying, let's find people that don't know Christ, and and let's share our faith with them. And so that is the big challenge today, isn't it? Are we doing that? Are we active in that That sense of proactiveness? And, and notice there's three categories here as you look at this passage a little closer first it says be merciful to those who doubt those who are just confused and and just listen to what they say be slow to speak quick quick to listen uh you know ask good questions of course this is being lived out as you live your faith in front of people around you but sometimes they're just a little confused you know how do you know that that christ is the way how you know how do you know that Jesus really rose from the dead? And, you know, there's some great questions. We're not afraid of questions. I appreciate this series. Pastor Dwayne. and I uh, co-taught together last winter was Reasons for Your Faith by Tim Keller. And, and a lot of these things were, were so well modeled of how Tim responded to those who had tough questions appreciated that series the second category says snatch others from the fire and save them that sounds a little aggressive but it's the whole idea of actually pulling somebody out of destruction and there's times when you have that sense of man i need to speak here and and let them know the hope that's in my heart one of the things that i've uh, been given the privilege of is is sometimes praying for people in their last um, days or last even minutes of life on this earth. And there's been occasions, there's been a few occasions where I've been asked by people in the church, hey, my grandmother's dying or um, my mom, and they haven't walked in faith, and can you go and pray with, with my um, family. And, boy, I, I take those assignments very seriously. I, I try to get prayed up, you know, and if I have time to fast a little bit before, because I realize that sometimes it really is seriously a matter of urgency to share faith, knowing that they will soon leave this earth and and so there are times i have just said you know i have to share this with you are you ready if you died today would you be ready and i've had i've had those that didn't want to talk about it and i've had those who have responded two extreme responses but i've i've had that privilege to to pray with those who didn't know Christ, and and just in a few hours um, they would they would slip into eternity with Christ. And I wish we always had that sense of you know it's obvious they're in the hospital they're under hospice care, but many times we don't have those obvious signals. And what I would ask us to do is let's be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And I I have had times I've had people dropped on my heart and I didn't pursue that like I should and those people died soon after that. (laughs) That's pretty tough. And so I haven't Fortunately, that hasn't happened a lot, but just once or twice is enough to realize, boy, when God drops somebody on my heart, I need to pursue that. I need to share my faith. And maybe we will look like a fool. I don't care. I don't care. We need to snatch them literally from that destruction. And then the third group, we see where there's others show mercy mixed with fear. Notice that. Mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corruptive flesh. So that's truly as that model of loving the person and hating the sin. And I think we can distinguish those things. But I think there's also a little warning in in the sense of, you know, if you're gonna go after sharing your faith, be ready, be prepared don't don't be taking that lightly because a lot of times they will come after us too. How many have had that experience? you know they want to share their views, and sometimes they're pretty strong on that. Then we come to verse twenty four and I see this as a warm conclusion. So we see James in his warmth and in his introduction. And then I think we see that again at the end. He says, to him who is able to keep you from falling. I love, this is such a great benediction. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, Power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And we all say, Amen. Wow, that's a great benediction. Do you, do you get a little sense of, of the difference between the, the warning part of his book and the warmth part of his book, where he saying, now that we have Christ, here's our hope He will will keep us from falling. He will present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That is such a great closing. I'm going to have the worship team come, and and, uh, we're going to close here in in just a few moments. We're going to celebrate in communion as we do throughout the month on the uh, kind of the self-serve, I guess you could say, communion weeks. And we're going to celebrate what Christ has done for us. We're going to celebrate the fact that we have truth, that he has rescued us, that he has saved us. He will keep us. He will keep us without fault with great joy. So there's a lot to celebrate today. Now You seem a little depressed about the sad part of this passage, but there's a lot to celebrate here today that Christ has accomplished these things in us, and we can share the truth. Amen? So, okay. I want to close with one last uh, illustration. I was thinking, who is a good example that exemplifies this whole passage of Jude about somebody who contended for the faith and somebody who lived the faith? And so, Malar and I were talking over dinner a few nights ago, and just naming some of the great Uh, church fathers throughout history who modeled this uh, in so many ways, and and there's several I could give as an example, but uh, the first I thought of is Dietrich Bonhoeffer just uh, not too long ago who modeled this, somebody who contended for the faith, and it was a period of time he was a pastor in Berlin, and um, he, he was a theologian, had a doctorate teaching in a Christian university, and Hitler was rising to power at that time, and and Germany had suffered, you know, defeat World War One and Great Depression, and inflation was rampant, and so people were turning to Hitler as as the man who had the answers. In fact, a lot of church leaders were touting Adolf Hitler as the Christian solution to their country, to all the the hurt, and a great Savior, and a partner with Jesus Christ, a partner with the Holy Spirit. I could read you several of those examples. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, wait a minute, not so fast. And he was a man who recognized the real. He had been around the real long enough to say, whoa, this is red flags here. And he was actually on a radio transmission sharing uh, live radio, and he began to speak out against Hitler as as a leader of a false cult. They cut off the radio broadcast mid-air, shut it off, began to target Dietrich Bonhoeffer, ban him from teaching... Publicly, Well, he, you know, he kept teaching underground. All these leaders who recognized, wait a minute, there's something wrong going on here. Became a leader of helping the Jews escape and saved many lives. Was a double spy. And, and was eventually arrested, discovered and arrested. And so he contended for the faith. Spent a, a couple of years in prison. One month before the end of World War II with, the, with uh, Germany, the war would have ended. One month later, they, they hung Dietrich and, and five others. And the person who witnessed that hanging said he'd never seen a person radiate Christ as much as what he saw Dietrich do as he kneeled before he was hung, kneeled at the foot of the gallows and prayed and had a heavenly glow about him, a look of peace, a look of confidence, saying he was ready to contend for the faith all the way. And he gave his life 39 years of age. That's a great example, isn't it? Let's pray this morning. Father, as we contend for the faith, Lord, I I look at the examples of those who have followed you, Lord, the disciples, and men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer that lived out their faith all the way, Lord, not ashamed of the gospel, knowing that it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, not afraid to speak up. But yet at the same time, Lord, I I see these examples that have lived it out, Lord, not just in word but in action. And, Lord, that's a challenge for me, for all of us today, Lord, making sure that our lives match what we say, what we are proclaiming, what we are announcing today, Lord. We must live it to build up our faith, to pray in the Spirit Lord, to, to share our faith over and over, to be constantly diligent in our awareness, Lord, and, and just to know the genuine so we detect when there's something that comes along that's just not right. Lord, and, and I just pray that we would have that sense of diligence and urgency in our lives, Lord, that knowing that we haven't crossed the finish line yet, Lord, we still have a work to do, Lord. There's still people that need to hear about you. And Lord, I thank you that we have those opportunities around us to share and help us to find more opportunities to share our faith. Lord, that people would ask for the reason of the hope in us. They'd see the joy in us. They'd see that security in us, that we walk with you in that sense of victory, joy, joy. Lord that we are going to be an adventure on an adventure with, as we walk in your holy spirit. We thank you Lord for this word today. It's a strong word. But Lord, I thank you that it's a good warning, it's a good reminder of how we need to be aware in these last days. We just thank you for your word today. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. We have communion as, as we continue to celebrate. We have prayer teams on the sides. And please come and, and just spend some time with the Lord, celebrate communion together.